The tower, which was not supposed to be there, plunges into the earth in a place just before the black pine forest begins to give way to the swamp, to swamp and then reeds and wind-gnarled trees of marsh flats. Beyond the marsh flats and the natural canals lie the ocean, and a little farther down the coast, a derelict lighthouse. Although this part of the country has been abandoned for decades, for, e for reasons that are not easy to relate, our expedition was the first to enter Area X for more than two years, and much of our predecessor's equipment has rusted their tents and sheds little more than husks. Looking out over that untroubled landscape, I do not believe any of us yet could see the threat. There were four of us, a biologist, an anthropologist, a surveyor, and a psychologist. I was the biologist. All of us were women this time, chosen as part of the complex set of variables that govern sending the expeditions. The psychologist, who was older than the rest of us, served as the expedition's leader. She had put us all under hypnosis to cross the border, to make sure we remained calm. It took four days of hard hiking after crossing the border to reach the coast. Our mission was simple, to continue the government's investigation into the mysteries of Area X. Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes. It's Monday, April 6th, and this is the spring edition of the 42 Minutes Book Club. Tonight I will be sharing this honor with the Bizarro crew of Always Record. And here I'm speaking about the various artists such as Dennis Cook, S.J. Anderson, and Talitha Wall. And tonight, for our second book club, we're gonna we're gonna dive into Jeff Vandermeer's *Annihilation*, which came out in 2014, and it's part of a trilogy they refer to as the Southern Reach trilogy. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing great. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> and I guess before we get into the actual book itself. SJ, can you tell us a little bit about the Boise Spring Sink as just a little wrap-up for those people who missed it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was, um, I think you had said it best at one point in Boise, just that we kind of ended up doing an Easter uh, a ritual of some kind or an Easter celebration, kind of unbeknownst to ourselves in terms of um, uh, resonating with, you know, the number 12, uh, 12, 13 participants, um, often 12 people with that missing 13th in, in our group. Um, and so, you know, it, it took place uh, Wednesday through the Sunday, which was Easter Sunday. And um, so I think that was really the backdrop of it. But yeah, we had a wonderful time. Uh, we got to walk the um, labyrinth there right in Boise in one of the citizens' uh, backyard, which is a very meditative event that kind of had its own power. We got to see the petroglyphs in the Snake River Canyon, which are 15,000 years old and was really a transformative experience. And then of course got to see um, uh, Tree Fort. So I really enjoyed seeing some of the cool bands um, there and some of the ones you had interviewed um, in particular. Uh, Sisters, Acid Dad were some of the good shows that I got to see. But yeah, all in all it was just a great, and then also the hangout in the house where a lot of uh, intense conversations happened. I got to meet people like Wally Chirold, Alan, Dennis, um, 
John McGuire. So. Yeah, not to mention Wally's presentation too on Saturday morning was. I had no idea that was that was coming at all. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Don't want to forget that. Yeah, that was a mind-blowing uh, look into the film Contact. That was really kind of in a um, Joe Alexander style. Really, some close examination of a lot of the shots, and he had some very just some fascinating conclusions. It really made me appreciate Robert Zemeckis. I mean, it just added another level to his mystery to me. So. Yeah. So, and then what? What do you take away from the experience? Did I mean? Did you have a good time? Was it worth it? Would you do it again? And then, what kind of memory do you think you'll hold on to for a few years? Yeah, I mean, definitely it was worth it. I mean, I feel like it was um, just a culmination of my kind of involvement and contact with SyncBook, and you know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it blew me away. It exceeded my expectations, certainly. I mean, just. Um, you know, the how cohesive it was and just how everything flowed and sort of uh, it was, I feel I was telling Wally the last day when I flew out, it just feel like, I feel like it was a coalescence of kind of like-minded people and in a very naturalistic way, you know, and, um, you know, what I'll take with it, you know, I get definitely the mystery of reality, um, getting a, uh, to experience it in a collective form like that was, uh, was profound. And I, I think, I mean, I definitely have my own synchronistic practices and my own kind of, uh, life. It's a very atomized version of that, but then taking it with 13 others, there definitely becomes a greater, I guess, ripple effect that I think, uh, collectively we're able to tap into maybe, or combine energy gives a, a maybe a greater window. So, I mean, that's definitely what I'll take away. In particular, all of the, um, like I said, the Jesus stuff that happened with that, that Jesus, the Jesus uh, symbols really asserting themselves over and over again. And there was one instance there where we saw the 42U. I'll, I'll just say this because we're on the 42-minute show, but we were walking and there was a license plate right in Boise. We were walking from the house we were staying at to the labyrinth and Doug was leading us and all of a sudden we looked down, there's a van with the license plate for for to U, and it just seems like a really strange personalized license plate uh but um you know that's just one example of the kind of affirmations and sort of synchronistic winks we were we were receiving you know the whole weekend so did you guys end up at a movie on sunday yeah we saw batman versus superman uh it was me wally jason barrera and um danny colombo and I, yeah, it was amazing. Um, it, it, in particular, the the contact. Um, there was a bunch of similarities to the contact. For instance, in bats, bats versus soups, or bats v soups, as people are calling it. You know, there was a, a lot of shots with the, the four television screens that had TV interviewing personalities. Um, you had uh, anyhow. That's just one example. But but uh, there was oh, there was a false flag bombing. There was a, of a government building, and in you know, contact, you have a blowing up of the government uh, um, apparatus, the time travel apparatus. So there was a lot of similarities. Um, I like that movie, by the way. A lot of it's getting a lot of bad press, but I, and I'm not as uh, a comic book film f- a person, but I actually enjoyed it, so I recommend that. And then it, just as a final, you know, parting thought, what was entering back into your life like? Did it feel like? Kind of like this weird dream that you had, or was it hard to get back into what normal reality is for you? Or I'd say no. I mean, it wasn't from like a psychic standpoint. I mean, I, I feel like 
you know, the intensity that we experienced up there is pretty much par for the course in terms of the intensity. I mean, I have a pretty intense life in terms of these types of kind of freaky things, maybe not different in the sense that it wasn't, I don't have 13 sink heads living in my apartment, but, uh, but that was pretty intense. We've got to (laughs) say, I know it was Uh, a lot of energy for sure. Yeah, you wake up and try to get a, a cup of water in the morning, and boom. I mean, it's just you're talking about, you know, uh, this ancient language and, you know, language as a ritual. And, you know, it's like there were, it was very, very intense. Um, but, you know, physically it was tough because I flew back. I got in at Monday at 5 a.m., and I got to my uh, job at uh, 10 a.m. that morning. So I just sort of went right back into my life. And yeah. uh, it was just a physical adjustment more than anything. But, no, it was fine, you know. I'm a young man. I can. I'm, I'm resilient. So, hmm. um, but yeah, highly recommend the experience. It was a wonderful job. Thank you, Doug. I mean, I uh, really appreciate kind of letting us come into your world up there and hosting us. And it was a beautiful thing. So, cool. Okay, so let's talk about the book. Who wants to just? Okay, well, right off the bat, we're gonna spoil this, and we're gonna spoil the whole <laughs> trilogy because I know we're gonna get there. But like you were saying, we'll we'll try and talk about the book as a standalone thing to begin with. Do you want to just crack it op- crack it open, Dennis? Because you were the the member of the last book Look, club. Look, okay, have SJ summarize it. I'm a terrible. I'm just that's not my skill. So I know, but SJ is much better at this. So I think uh, uh, I got a lot to say, but I think he's a good summary dude. All right, I'll, I can jump in here quick. A quick summary. I mean, basically. Like you heard in the introduction, there's an expedition into this Area X. Uh, we never really know what uh, Area X really is, except that there was an event sometime in the past where that was reported as an ecological disaster. Um, the book is written from the perspective of people inside Area X with flashbacks to their lives before Area X. And, um, you know, that's one thing the book never quite resolves what it is, but the, it's basically a narrative of these explorers going into this strange kind of alternative reality and the events that unfold in that reality would be a short summary. Um, you know, and what those events are, you know, there's conflict, there's, uh, interactions with the local biology, there's all kinds of obstacles, uh, you know, and I don't, I mean, I can just go ahead and just tell the end, but I mean, that, that would be my short summary and setup of what the book is. Do we ever know where exactly this area X is? There are suggestions that it's East Coast, but it's not in. It's not explicitly said in the in the book. And South, because uh, it talks about swamp. So I assume it's something like Florida. Plus, uh, the Jeff Vandermeer lives in Tallahassee. Ah, Florida would make a lot of sense, actually. That's yeah. You got you got the Bermuda Triangle just south of there. It never answers it though officially. It never mentions a unite any uh, real geographic. Um, like a city or a place or anything like that. It's always like south, north, or, uh, northwest. You know, it's very vague. It's it's bizarre because for a while the theme on the show was definitely this idea of contact, and X was part of the thing. But then we're also in the Tower Year, and so these were kind of the elements that went into the choosing of this book as the book club book. But I'm just curious if any of those. I mean, so what? And then the first time I read it, the book really resonated with me just because there's so much that we don't know the whole time, but we're just so curious what the heck is going on. 
but it's really, really compelling. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the tower thing, you have uh, you have a lighthouse being referenced, which is a tower, um, and then you also have this sort of antithesis, which they're calling both a tower and a tunnel that stretches downward. Um, it's sort of like a downward pointing tower that they go down into, and they see um, very interesting script on the wall and uh, and a being of some type. Um, inhabiting the lower portions of it, but I don't know. Hey, I, I'm, I'm Doug. You've probably, or maybe SJ or and Talitha as well. But um, you, you have probably read some H.P. Lovecraft, and I found this at least the opening portions of this book to be really reminiscent of Mountains of Madness. I don't know if that's a book anybody's read, but um, it seemed really analogous to that in terms of like, you know, they're exploring Antarctica in that book and they're like um seeing things that they can't believe they're seeing and yeah talitha would you like to chime in i know earlier you were talking about you were seeing reflections i think um before we got on before we got on with you we were having a discussion and even dennis and i were speaking earlier about how mirrors came up a lot in the first book. I haven't read the others, so I can't give anything away or spoil anything. We don't want to spoil anything for you then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, it's okay. We've, we've been talking about it, but um, I noticed that mirrors came up a lot and it, and it had me thinking about lighthouses and how mirrors are used. But then I said that comes up later on. And, and I was thinking about the idea of not just the lighthouse itself as being, something that draws um, draws you in or is meant to draw you in when you're you know lost at sea um, but but doing that by using a reflection going outward first to then sort of pull you in um, but also I was talking about the the writing the script on the wall oh yeah that drew the biologist in and then ended up you know, throwing spores in her face and the book itself feels like that same thing for me the fact that there's just so many questions one after another after another after another or it starts in a way that you immediately go uh what's the history what's going on you know it just totally draws you in I have no idea what it's going to do later but it pulls you in with all of these questions with all this inquiry um so I don't know how because I haven't read the other three, how it might use reflection or mirroring to sort of um, come back at me. But it just was a theme I picked up on. There's that scene with the biologist where she's at the tide pool and there's some kind of, what is it called? Like the death? Starfish. Yeah. And Destroyer of worlds. Is that right? Destroyer of worlds. Starfish. Yeah, but there's I I was thinking there's some kind of strange mirroring with the creature in the in the tunnel too somehow. Like she's looking into this world as the outside person in, as a tide pool thing, but then somehow she gets into the into the tide pool herself at in area X. It's almost like I don't know. There's this weird kind of voyeuristic thing where we're we're witnessing something there. Does that does that occur before or after the crawler 
uh, merges with her, or she merges with whatever happens in that scene. Do you know? I'm just wondering if that then changes her perception or her 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 perception abilities once that that crawler experience sort of takes over her or melds with her. Does anyone have any idea that's, what that's happened full, there exactly? <laughs> well, it's a flashback. The tide pool scene is a flashback to her life in real in the real quote unquote real world where she's working up in the northwest and she looks down that's in the tide right. pool and sees the destroyer of worlds. So it definitely happens before in time. The, the topic of what happens in the climax of the novel, she descends into this tower tunnel. And just so the listeners know, there's a crawler character that's riding on the tunnel walls that curve down. It sounds like miles down into the ground. And that's another part of the um, book that is, I thought, one that's really interesting. That there's a short little write-up of what the crawler's actually writing. And it's this very weird kind of antiquated language that sounds almost uh, re- religious or uh, biblical. Yeah, very Old Testament mm-hmm. sort of, yeah. And, and the writing itself is alive. It's made of a phosphorescent, phosphorescent fungus that, um, that uh, she, she examines closely and the spores in, inject her. And, uh, and uh, this is how she becomes infected by Area X, if you could look at it that way. Um, Talitha sort of referenced that, but that, but the actual writing is alive, which is this sort of living word, um, uh, religious text sort of imagery. Um, yeah, and that's it, the opening from a plot perspective. That's the opening act, basically, in the first several pages. They it starts in the action. They drop into area X, and pretty soon she inhales this this spore. And then the rest of the novel, we're left, what's happening? What's changing? How does the sport changing her biology? And that's mm-hmm. one of the narrative devices. And, um, you know, by the end of it, it she, she talks about it being the light that's shining inside of her. There's this growing light energy. And uh, before, we were talking about a dilute, maybe a Luciferian element, not only related to the lighthouse being a light bearer or a light sort of projector, but this element would also fall in there, that she's becoming light in a way. Um, yeah. yeah doesn't the she faces off near the end with uh is it the psychologist or is it one of the other ones left the psychologist correct no no, no. the psychologist the dies oh the surveyor yeah, yeah that's right yeah yeah that okay. was earlier that the psychologist yeah this surveyor goes out of the lighthouse is that so I mean, so, the surveyor stays at base camp oh, yeah, while yeah. she goes back to the lighthouse yeah but yeah. doesn't who falls out of the lighthouse? Was that the, the psychologist fell? Yeah. yeah, or jump or whatever. Jump, yeah, yeah. I seem to think jump. <laughs> who knows? Her body was not in her control. <laughs> but it seems like they both described her as starting to glow or change or become something. Yeah, yeah, yeah they did. And then isn't it the the glowing that also? Uh, causes her to be able to heal from really um yeah what would normally be fatal wounds so so you know maybe that's also you know earlier we were talking about um a a parasite it's a parasite right actually called tox uh, that you can get from a cat scratch mm-hmm and um, SJ, can you describe it? Because you just read it, and I've forgotten it now. I know that it like it causes you to be attracted to 
the cat or to like it more, which is kind of a weird thing. But um, it just makes me wonder if, you know, when I link it to, to something like that, it makes me wonder about the spores entering her body and then how that might change her, not just, you know, her ability to, to, uh, be, be part of the environment, meaning she's now able, she's now adapting to being able to self heal or ha- have different things. But also, at the end of of this first book, she says, "You know, I feel like Area X is a good thing, a positive thing." And I wonder if if being infected, so to speak, with um, those spores, was part of what caused her to no matter how upsetting all of this stuff is, everyone dies, she's all alone, and somehow she's still happy about this at the end. You know? Yeah, and I think that and, like and another- I think she also mentions that she's going to die, or she's not going to make it, and yet she still likes this place, so. Yeah, well said. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's like one of the core questions that people are presented with is whether Area X is a good thing and it should be pl- proliferate and uh, take over <laughs> or or if it's uh, to should be fought against. It should be a, a border that is, should be pushed back um, and this carries out in the rest of the trilogy, um, which is interesting. Um, where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the sinner? I shall, I shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that gather in the darkness that surround the world with power, with the power of their lives from the dim lit halls of other places that forms that never were and never could be writhe for the impertinence of the few. <laughs> and so there's no punctuation because the worm is writing this thing circularly circularly and i that was the other interesting thing i think the writing becomes more and more distinct or you know so it's like recycling the text it's like there's there's something really interesting going on that the author's playing with there this idea of the livingness of communication somehow that that like you were saying that the book itself is the is is the spore that's infecting us yeah, and the other thing about the writing too is that at the end of the book, she sees the face of the of the uh, lighthouse keeper uh, that she this person she thinks might be the lighthouse keeper, and he looks sort of like he's basically trapped. And so I was thinking too along the lines of language as sort of a relief or release. It's like when you have a turmoil, inner turmoil, or you feel trapped. Maybe sometimes language is really all you can grab onto as a way to express. You know, events that might have happened, or and so it seems like he was caught in sort of a loop that that language was his way to kind of, kind of uh, trap himself, uh, you know. And so, anyhow, that's not as clear, but the point I'm making there. But yeah, this idea of what is language is it is it is it a trap? Is it freedom? Hmm. Um, why are we attached to it? You know, and um, you know, language is being a virus. The Burrosian idea that it's sort of a human virus, or you know, um, and yeah, it's it's literally bacterial spores coming. I don't know if that's a vi- viral does not have spores. Sorry, I, I'm not a biologist. <laughs> well, I, it, so just a couple of things. Um, when you were talking about the, the spiraling of the words and no punctuation, that immediately made me think of a DNA spiral for some reason, and then. 
and then SJ, what you were just saying, like, uh, you were talking about language, um, made me think of a, a lecture I just went to a couple weeks ago uh, where one of the philosophers on the panel was talking about how DNA replication is, is quite literally a language, a coding, it's a coded language, and that um, viruses are something that interrupt the coding process <laughs> and then imprint themselves into the coding process. So, you know, again, talking about language as a virus, which, which, you know, which language is the virus and which one is the non-viral or are they all viruses disrupting one another and, and then, and then reflect and imprinting themselves upon. And is that, is that what's happening in all of area X? Is that what the crawler does? Is that, you know, it just sort of like pops open this whole thing about language and being and who's, you know, who's, who's using which language and interrupting the next language or the next coding process. But then you also get the sense that the crawler might be, I mean, so there's this epiphany. It's this, the light of, I don't even, you know, it's the light of truth or the light of something. And that she just, it's so much, it's, it's like what a, a you know, a saint's mystical experience would be like. And then it kind of casts her aside, which was, I thought, really interesting, too. Is this part of the first book? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Just checking. <laughs> so you're talking about when the light um, is healing her or? No. It, or isn't it when she first experiences the crawler, isn't it kind of like not with its creatureliness, but actually a light? Like it, it's the same kind of experience Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a spinning bell light. Yeah, it's described in a really interesting way. It sort of goes into her body and sort of sees the whole of her and sort of analyzes everything that she is and then sort of... It would be like an experience with God, but it's the God of this particular world, kind of. The crawler as kind of this illumination like you guys were saying luciferian i was saying god but then at the same time we don't know like if we're in the world anymore on the other yeah i where does where does annihilation end it um my recollection is that she is the biologist the the main character is saying uh, you know i'm the last surviving member of the 11th and 12th expedition and um, I'm going to just head out and go as far as I can into area X following the path my husband took along the coast and even though I don't expect to find him I still believe that he's somewhere here yeah the last words are I am not returning home those are the last five words of the book Um, you know, and so it implies, yeah, she's making a conscious choice to stay there in Area X, that she may have been transformed by this light, like you're saying, Dennis, uh, kind of awake awakening experience or a religious experience. And she, my read was it sort of a turned her, whether it was the spore in her or that experience, but basically she decides in reading her husband's journals, oh, that's another thing with the language. At the end of the book, they find a big stack of all the journals of all of the uh, participants of the previous expeditions and she's able to read all of these written accounts of area X and yeah. she finds her husband's 
And so, you know, basically she's got a new home. This is what it sounds like in area X and she's just makes herself at home, you know, after having become this big, this light energy inside of her has grown. And, um, yeah, she's sort of taken on the characteristics of the place and, um, yeah, we did. We oh. didn't go into this, but we, but um, their whole training as it's as, as a precursor to entering Area X, they have like no no names. In fact, her name is never um, brought up specifically. Only her nickname, which is Ghostbird, and then um, yeah, hypnosis, heavy hypnosis was involved, including trigger trigger words um, from the psychologist to the participants. Uh, no technology misleading maps um or very low technology all this i i it felt like their nervous systems of the of the exhibition people were being calibrated to view or experience area x in a specific way like they they were being prepared to see it in a certain way and uh and this comes out in the t in the story in such a way that like they she sees the tunnel as a, the tower, the downward tower, as actually a breathing organism, whereas everybody else just sees it as a stone structure. So the actual thing being alive or layers of the ecology being live is not something that other members see besides her. Yeah. Something that I found really striking, it was... The notebooks in the lighthouse really reminded me of Lost, and I thought that it wasn't like a ripoff, but just the, the fact that all those notebooks were there, and that was an element that happened in Lost and then the lighthouse too, was enough that I thought, and I think they're making it into a film or a miniseries. Yes. I just, film. Made the director of Ex Machina with uh, Natalie Portman and the guy that was in Ex Machina, uh, Oscar Isaac, are the two stars. Oh, T, that dude. Huh. Yeah. I wonder if people say, oh, this is just a Lost ripoff. Or it's if... It's been compared to Lost a lot. H.P. Lovecraft and uh, Lost has been uh, thrown out there a lot. Okay, but so there's okay. a scene, though, that is really amazing, and it's when they start looking at the video footage from Area X, and I think that's an authority. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, and and acceptance, I think. And you it, like it, it's written in such a way that you you don't know what's going on, but n neither does anyone else. But then you know it's it's heavier than what you can take in, <laughs> like yeah, like some sort of really insane madness overtaking people and seeing it happen yeah it's all off screen and so it's just like the book nothing's really answered it's all off screen similarly in that scene it's like there's videos but all the creepy stuff is happening off screen and so it's this implied kind of terror uh, and these implied tr uh kind of realities again that theme you know is that connected to when the psychologist is dying in the first book and she says two words that, that the biologist can't really make out, but she thinks one of them might be remote and the other one might be watching. Do you guys well, she uses part? the command word annihilation when she sees her, her which apparently is a trigger word for... Uh, um, to kill yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but she, as like she's taking her dying breaths... She says two words, and 
Yeah. And it's interesting because it, it's just, again, it leaves, you know, it leaves you in questions um, again. Cause she's like, it's either this or remote or this and watching, you know, and I was just wondering if that had anything to do, what you guys are talking about in the other books have anything to do with that, but we don't know. No, not clear. Yeah. And um, are there in, in, in the other books, and maybe this isn't appropriate for, for this conversation, but since you guys brought them up, um, in the first book, one of the things that kept popping into my mind was, you know, they talk about, you know, these two towers, but they often call um, the downward tower, everyone else calls it a tunnel. The biologist is the only one that refers to it as a tower. Um, so they talk about the tunnel, and then at other times, the biologist talks about... Um, feeling like she's in a tunnel or, or something like that. And it made me, for whatever reason, when I was listening to it, it made me think about, um, you know, shifting dimensions, like the birth canal. There's often a tunnel that's used when, when, um, shifting from like one reality to another. Uh, and it made me wonder if the tower or the tunnel or even the lighthouse is something that appears later or if things like that appear later when she's sort of going deeper in or, 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 um, shifting into like the next level of, of this, this other reality is that used as, you know, sort of a, a consciousness portal mm-hmm. or, or somehow um, a metaphor for that. Like, does that come up again? Or when I was reading, I kept thinking that, that there were the same thing somehow, but but because she's the only one that senses that the tunnel, the tower, is this living thing, it's almost like that's the thing. It's like what I mean is this is the whole the whole of Area X the creature that you know so the the tunnel is the response to the lighthouse, which is and so now I'm thinking of, in terms of how we are are. Uh, post-enlightenment consciousness views the separateness of nature and self and here she's being subsumed into the nature it's like she that she realizes there is no separation between her and this thing that she's becoming once she's infected with the spores see that's i i'm right there with you doug Mm -hmm. i think that's what's being intimated and that this is a meta entity that is distributed over all the layers of the, of the ecology and that it's sort of its mode of, of taking over is through sort of this micro level. And, uh, it also uses mimicry and duplication and, uh, um, as its form of, of, uh, connecting. Yeah. Well, and just real quick here to throw in this other theory um, that it's more of like a wormhole is that there's a moment in the book where she looks up and the stars are different in Area X. And so it implies that there's a, it's like a different planet because the constellations aren't the same. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so, you know, maybe that, you know, it's like worlds colliding or wormholes uh, sort of uh, there's like a invasion through a wormhole and then a, and then a, and then a, a taking over. I don't know, but there clearly was a different planet uh, intimation or implication. And um, this idea of a pristine, um, mm. you know, the landscape in Area X is pristine. People describe it as like perfect nature where everything is 
clean air and fresh, everything's fresh and clean and pristine. And so the idea that, and the humans that had lived there before the event happened, that's that it took over a region of, of earth and those humans aren't alive, it seems. And there was bodies even when they walked through that village. Yeah. So this idea of like pristine nature eating bad, uh, you know, corrupted humans that are, you know, bad for the planet. There was that <laughs> whole take too, you know. I like that. <laughs> I like that. It's interesting too. You bring up the stars because you know constellations and stars and planets and all that. Yeah, you know, it's like a really important language for some cultures, especially a lot of native cultures. They, those are maps for them that and tell time, you know, time and seasons, and they plan their whole lives around the stars and and constellations, and they map through constellations so it's interesting just to consider uh the whole you know false maps and languages and and having a completely different um setup with the stars and the constellations yeah because they're in the in the when they're going through training they're sort of entrained to to view the landscape through the maps that they're given and none of the maps include the the uh the downward tower or tunnel so um that's something that the protagonist uh ghost bird go the biologist goes through a lot you know tries to figure out right she's always trying to figure out what the real mission is or was but as far as okay so we're we're nearing the end of this you both sj and dennis finished the whole trilogy and did did you were you satisfied did you enjoy it would you recommend it to to letha oh yeah heck yeah i don't think Talitha's gonna i don't know if she's gonna do it but i other people beyond Talitha, yeah <laughs> <laughs> I probably would not recommend it, Doug, just to be honest. Uh, I thought the prose really had a drop-off in the second two mm -hmm. books, and it was kind of boring at times and hard to kind of plow through some of the writing. I thought it was kind of overly descriptive and sort of, I mean, just from a, a stylistic perspective, some of the, like, over-flowerization or, you know, overly sort of fancy kind of uh, constructions kind of took away from me. And I feel like a, particularly the second book is very slow, um, so yeah, I, I probably would not recommend it. Um, and it doesn't really answer much. It doesn't answer much. I mean, it, I, to me, it feels sort of like an exercise in, you know, writing and, and just sort of creating something that I guess I don't know the ultimate theme. It's interesting because I read The Man in the High Castle right after, again, right after reading this. And just, you know, I think that the achievement of Dick versus this book is just how cohesive a message there is and how tight the narrative is with like themes that sort of can be transmitted and clearly communicated yeah SJ, feels... i was through divine intervention right after reading this so we we did something similar there in terms of <laughs> but continue please no, Sorry. just this just this it felt like a, a tier below in my opinion yeah the I whole am. the whole of the of like a great work so i, I will know, I'm say the, the lighthouse element i don't know which book it's in that the backstory on the lighthouse is pretty interesting and so That's, that yeah three go, is yeah is that three. in three it's uh, it, it starts in two it starts referencing thing and it's a the seance and science brigade <laughs> i love that yeah <laughs> 
And it reminds me of the Crowley thing that the Equinox is publication. It was the aim of religion by the means of science, something like that. And yeah. so it's combining these two things, science and kind of mysticism. Well, it's kind um, of suggested that they're invoking the creation of Area X, but it's not explicitly stated. But Yeah. And that is interesting, Doug. I agree. That might be worth, you know, if someone's... It's not something to not to avoid, but I just personally wouldn't recommend it. I mean, there's so many books and so little time. I think there's probably a better option. <laughs> okay, well, do you guys want to play in the middle of summer sometime? What What's our next book? We can add more people, too, if we want. Oh, Sleep has a book suggestion. Yeah, what? Uh, IQ84. Oh, wow. Well, 1Q84. 1Q, sorry, I I don't know if any of you have read it, but I really... I started it. into it. You did, but you didn't... I didn't finish. Okay. And so that's interesting because it has some of the totalitarian Philip K. Dick Man in the High Castle undertones, maybe? Well, it's supposed to be some kind of reference to 1984. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, I, well, I don't want to give it all away, but uh, Q... Uh, is is being um, uh, not not translated, but it's a, another version of nine. So 1984 and 1Q84 are sort of parallel uh, realities in different dimensions, and you get to kind of go along this journey. It's got some like sort of dark undertones, but also. Uh, and and some strange sort of metaphysical kind of stuff, but uh, I don't I don't I don't know how to describe it without uh, giving too many things away. But I liked it a lot. I think it's, who wrote it? Sorry, uh, who, who wrote it? Uh, Murakami. Uh, okay. I can't remember the first name. Last name is Murakami. M U R A K I. Okay. Well. Uh... Quite possibly, we'll go that direction. Uh, I'm actually reading a book right now called Lovecraft Country, <laughs> <laughs> which is it's it's uh, it's he it just came out. I think it's in hardback right now, but it's doing some really interesting things in mixing real world monsters with Lovecraftian type monsters, and so there's mm. jokes about. Uh, you know the scary things in the woods, and it, you know they might be the ski goths or what if <laughs> the she goths, <laughs> or just really scary backwoods people. Uh, yeah, but I, I'm enjoying that. Interesting. That sounds like a fun one. Well, kind of, and then when you realize what you know, what the metaphor is, what the mirroring that's happening. It's like, oh, this is heavy. Mm. But that was 42 Minutes. Thank you all for sharing it with us. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. You've been listening to the 42 Minute Spring Book Club, a production of SyncBook Radio and the SyncBook.com. Wait, oh, you've been listening to this 42 Minute Spring Book Club on 42 Minutes, production of the SyncBook Radio and the SyncBook.com. Be sure and check out our website at 42minutes.com. If you'd like more information about 
The Sync Book, our guests to check out past shows or just subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a Sync Book Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as monthly online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And I don't know. <laughs> Thanks so much, and I don't know. Don't you know I'm